What is commanded, instructed most times in the Bible for us not to do? What does the Bible tell us not to do the most? If, you, if, if, if you're not feeling it, if you're like, I, just, I don't care, Ash, I'm just not going to engage at all, then I'll give you a prize or something afterwards. But that, what do you think? What does the Bible instruct us to do, to not do the most? Any ideas? Yes. Do not worry. The most we are told not to do something in the Bible. And I'm a worrier. And actually, I don't know how well this works for me, because I don't normally, if somebody says, don't worry, I immediately start to panic. I start to think, oh man, there must be something to worry about. But the Bible says to us, do not, more than anything else, so this is big picture stuff right at the start, tells us not to worry. What does it tell us to do the most? Trust? No, not trust. It's not, it really threw me. I thought it'd be some of the serious stuff. Don't get up to mischief. Don't do this. I thought God would be really keen that we didn't do any of that stuff. It's, respect your elders. No, it does say that a lot. It says that a lot of times. No, it says, praise God. Sing. Sing. Don't worry. So build up a theological position in your head. Build up a character that God's trying to mold you into in your head. See if you're there. I feel like I feel like I've been exposed by my own teaching this week already. Don't worry and sing. I'm a dour Yorkshireman who worries about stuff, and he's not in that, do you know what I mean? I'm not in that, oh, you know, when I sing, I'm, I'm feeling it in here, but it doesn't always get to here. So that's two things to think about. Don't worry and sing. Paul reminded us last week when we open up our Bibles, if we've got the paper version of the Bible, and I know that we've, we've got Bibles on our phones and everything else, in the middle of our Bible there is a songbook. Um, John Calvin describes it as an anatomy of the soul. And if you read through the Psalms, if, and I, I guess we've got a couple of weeks left of the Psalms, it's my encouragement, it, dis, it describes all of the spectrum of human emotions you're going to go through in there. All of the highs, all of the heartaches, everything. It's kind of dawned on me as we've been looking at the Psalms. If we're going to, if this really is God's book, and I believe that it is, and he's telling us to sing and praise him. And he's giving us this huge big songbook in the middle with all of life in it. If we're going to walk with him, and that's part of the encouragement today, we're going to need to learn how to sing, not just any songs, but his, his songs, God's songs, all 150 of them and, the, and all the rest. I want to tell you two ways, just to recap. I think we've covered this a little bit already, but just to recap. Two ways that singing the Psalms worked for God's people. This is kind of how it worked. First one, and there's more than this, but these are two things to have in your mind as we go through. They were informed on God. They sang, and as they sang, they became informed on God. You've got to remember there was no Spotify. There was no Google search engines or anything like that to find out your theology. These people, there was just, there were stories, and there were scrolls, and there were songs. These people sang and it informed them about God. That's where they learned their, their theology. It was part of a meditative journey. I heard somebody say this week that if you can worry, you can meditate. You know when you worry, you fill your mind with the bad stuff that's going to happen, and, and you kind of act on the back of that, don't you? If you can do that, then you can meditate. You can fill your mind with the good stuff. Is that picture of, of the root word behind meditation, this idea of a cow chewing the cud? You know, the the ugly cow that chews the cud, it swallows it into its stomach. And when it needs to, it can regurgitate, a horrible thing, but it can regurgitate. What, you know, if it needs a bit of protein, it can just pull it back up again and use it. That's the idea with meditation. You, you, have this, you have this structure in your head. 
you have this theology about God, you're singing it over and over again, and when you need something, and that's what would happen to these people, because this is kind of what happens with songs, and you can just pull it up. That's kind of how songs work when they get in your head, isn't it? Me and my wife are away um, camping, kids just to ourselves. We didn't have to have Radio 1 on, so we put Radio 90s on and embr- like rolled our sleeves up, brushed our hair back, did all that stuff, embraced who we actually are. No more pretense, no more trying to be cool. And it was incredible. Like The songs came on, songs that I'd not heard in, I'm so old, like 25 years at all. Song by D. Ream came on. That was the first one that came on. You know D. Ream? Things can only get better. And me and Jude, so glad she's not here because there's some stories about Jude tonight, immediately just burst into song straight away. And we could just recall, it, our heads were just full. That's, that's, what this, that's where the Psalms work for God's people. They would just sing these songs over and over again, and the, what would fall from their lips would be the theology of God. So they were informed. That's the first thing. The second thing is that they were emotionally engaged. If you've tried this, how hard is it to sing when you, just, when you, don't, when you don't mean it? How hard is that when your mum sends you along to the choir or something and you go along there and you sing when you've got no engagement with it whatsoever? How hard is that? But yet, when you really, when you really get something, it's such an organic thing singing, isn't it? It makes so much sense. When you're happy, you sing your heart out in the shower or when you're watching your favorite team, you just, it just happens, doesn't it? So singing, the Psalms weren't written for us just to know. They were written for us to, to, to have that sense of connectedness with that we could really sing. Have you, have you got songs like that in your life? When the Radio 90s came on, I'd realized that some of those songs were transcendent for me. Tub Thumping came on by Chumba, Chumbawamba. I get knocked down, but I get up again. And, I, when I, and I, that was one of them songs, like Celine comes on, I don't care. I don't, I've got, I don't care what she's saying, I don't care, I don't engage. But Tub Thumping comes on, and I'm like, yes, I get knocked down and I get up again. I've sang that, and, and it's come from deep within my soul. The Psalms were to be like that. They weren't just to be like, I mean, we come to them a lot, don't we? We read them under our, the spotlights by the side of our bed, and we just read them, and we study them, and we go, oh, that's interesting. It's nice to know that. The Psalms were there to be sung. So you got it there, and it came out of your mouth. That's what the Psalms were for. Now, here's what I'm going to say about the Psalms. It's, I think it is easy and this is my experience of the Psalms. It's easy to hold them there and know them. You kind of go, yeah, I know, I know that. I read it through. Well, that's really nice. That makes me feel fuzzy and warm inside. But to get to a place where you sing them is harder than that. Listen to what this first, first bit of the Psalm says, verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of the Lord. What was it saying that? Just make it really earthy. You should be super, praise him. You should think about God and be ready to burst into song. Who? Who should be ready to burst into song? His, his servants, people who've abandoned their whole lives to serve him, and those who minister for him. Those are the people that are supposed to burst into song. I've got to be honest, when I look back on my life, I've not, when those elements of my life have been in play, when I've thought about how I've been devoted to God, when I've been after a, chasing after purity and separating myself unto holiness and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's not always caused me to burst into song. 
like my tricky teenage years when I was trying to live a good Christian and failing to live a good Christian life, but none of the aspects of being a servant of God made me think, oh yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing. I want to burst into praise about this. I had other times when I wanted to burst into praise, but it wasn't, it wasn't those times. They're harder to sing, aren't they? One of the reasons I think this exists is because there's always an easier song for us to sing. There's some awesome songs in the charts at the moment. And that, like, just awesome. Even on Radio 1, even though I'm 40, I can still embrace all that stuff. But there's some awesome songs. Songs that just capture you right where you are. And that makes singing songs of God, songs that want to take you that direction, not keep you that direction, makes them harder to sing. I want to share one example of this. We're going to play a song, I think, another first, I think, for Christchurch. Um, so be, let me just, before they play the song, let me just... I'm so glad Jude's not in again. Just share the example of how this works. It's always an easier song to sing. I was looking back to my dodgy teenage past. When Ash starts an anecdote like that, everyone's, people are engaged. That's good. I mean, I'm in, that's interesting. Uh, a nightclub in Osset and something unusual. I can't, you're in. I wasn't expecting you two to be in. That's interesting. <laughs> there was a girl who looked at me and I'm like, I was like, oh man, this is interesting. This this doesn't, this doesn't usually happen. This is not what normally happens. And my ego was bursting. That's one storyline. The other storyline is I've been on this couple of years worth of journey of I really felt like God was dealing with me. I felt like he was making me an honest person. He was changing my life. This girl had come into my life, Jude, who I loved, and I'd sent prayers up to him. It was, there's, two, there's, that, there's me in the nightclub, and there's that storyline. And then this song, if it's going to play, comes on and just put me in... Well, listen to the words. So imagine spotty, young Ash with a, a very rare moment. And this, there's a girl looking at him from the corner of the room. I know this is tough, kids. But then wait for the line. Wait for the moment. Maybe if you know a bit of Crosby, Stills and Nash, you know what's, you know what's coming. Some people know it. It's... Um, and you can tell how bad of a nightclub it was for how low budget the songs that they're playing in it. Here it comes. That'll do. Imagine that. So that was the moment. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. I had this two songs in my head and it was just, it was like, they're, oh man. And that's how life is. I think a lot of the time, there's always a song. There's always going to be a song that allows you to celebrate where you are now, just keep you completely flatlining on earth. There's always going to be that song. Psalms don't let you do that. Psalms are harder to sing than that. They say, I see where you are now, and I want you to look up. And sometimes that's really hard to sing. I don't know if you've seen the new Lion King film. Have you seen the new Lion King film? If you've not seen the new Lion King film, you'll have seen the old Lion King film. Basically, that film, young lion, Simba's got kind of two choices, really. And they're ma mapped out by songs. It's either the big anthemic circle. I was, I was in my head, I was going to sing it, and I feel like that moment's passed. The circle of life song. <laughs> Although you would listen then, wouldn't you? But it's, I'm not going to do it. The circle of life song, he's got this big 
and it moves us all through despair and hope, through faith and love, till we find our place on the path unwinding, the circle, the circle of life. And it's like boom, when you go and see it in the cinema, it's like boom. And it's this song for Simba that calls him to something bigger, like that shapes the way he thinks about everything. And then there's another song, and I was going to sing this as well, but I'm definitely not going to sing it now. Hakuna Matata, you know, read me, aren't you? He's got another song in his life. What a wonderful phrase. Means no worries for the end of your days. He's got these two songs that are going to shape the rest of his life, these two different ways he can go. I think life, when I, when I think back to my misspent youth, my, you know, th- throughout my days, and I'm sure it's the same for you, life can be a lot like that. It can be like, which, which pithy bit of wisdom are you going to pick up and live by? Which song is going to be the rhythm of your life? Which song are you going to go with? So what I want to do is dig into the rest of Psalm 135. Just got two points about it, and I want to leave two points with you about why this psalm is a song that you should sing in the shower rather than Whitney or Akuna Matata. When you're happy, when you're sad, that's where, I want, that's where I want to get to you in the next couple of weeks. I want to have you thinking, yeah, this song, this is the best song. So it's two reasons, two quick reasons about why this psalm is the best song. First reason um, is that we know God works to turn broken lives into fulfilled into lives of fulfilled promise. That's the first reason. We know, we know God's doing something. We know that. That's what the psalm says. So it takes us back, verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. It says, it says I want you to see the big, I want you to see a, this song, so we'll get, we'll get through it, but further in the psalm, it says, I want you to see a big spectrum of time. I want you to have a big concept in your mind. I want you to see right at the start, I want you to see the story of Jacob right at the start, and I want you to see Israel into the future. That's, that's the nature of this song. And you're starting off with Jacob. Think back to him, and immediately, I, this is what I did in my mind. I thought, all right, we're supposed to think that he's ace. That's what I always think initially when we think about Abraham and Isaac and these stalwarts of the Old Testament, he's ace. Abraham, Jacob rather, when they take us back to him, I don't think in this song we're supposed to think Jacob is ace. We're supposed to think Man, isn't it a miracle what happened in the life of Jacob? Think back to his, I mean, he's not, he's just not an awesome guy. There's the, there's the story where he chases after Rachel for seven years, which you dip your hat and you go, yes, that's all right. But there's so many times, I mean, what's the first story we get to is where he steals Esau's blessing. He pretends to his dying father that he's the wrong son by having a hairy, an extra hairy arm. Do you remember that story? To his dying dad. How, that's pretty low, isn't it? That's pretty low stuff. And he's always, if you read through the narrative, he's always upsetting people and running away. He's not this great guy. And at one point, you, you, get, you get to the point in the story where you're thinking, Abraham, uh, Jacob's re- received this promise, but this promise is, I'm so certain it's just going to die in the sand here. How on earth is this going to how on earth is this promise going to manifest itself? How is it going to go anywhere? There's this old man who's starving to death. Remember the famine? His sons have to go back and forth to Egypt, and they're going to end up in Egypt. You're thinking, God, where is this story going? It's a nothing story. And yet, the end of this, what seems like a nothing story, is this nation of Israel that bursts out, that's got its own land, that's got its own city, that is a light on a hill. That's what we're supposed to think about this story, because that these are the kind of stories that God writes. He takes something from nothing 
and he makes it into something of eternal use. Look at the way he does it. And in verse 5, the, the, the psalmist gets really personal. He says, we know, we know this story. We know the truth of this story. Look at look what he says in verse 5. I know this. I, it goes into the first person. I know God is great. Verse 5 through 7. I know God is great, that the Lord, our God, that our Lord is greater than all the gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and in the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He says, I, I know, even though it, it, it seems like the weather's pretty random, I know that God's in control of this. I know he's shaping all this. Verse 8 through 12, he struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of people and animals. He sent signs and wonders into your midst. Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance. He says, we know that God did this. We know it appeared. It appeared that there was no chance of this promise coming good. None. It looked like for all the money in all the world, like this was disappearing into Egypt just to be destroyed. It looked like Pharaoh was in control. It looked like the sun god Ra was in control. It looked like the Egyptian empire was in control. And yet God was going to expose all that. We know this. And we know that as they left Egypt, they looked like they had no chance of inheriting their own land. It looked like they had no chance of doing that. They were going to face huge armies, giants of men, walled cities. And yet we know God in his providence, he's going to make a way for these people. We know this. Verse 12 through 14. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. That's why, this is, that's why they sing. Because they see that God has taken this thing that in Jacob looked like it was a nothing. Wasn't a great guy. Just a guy hanging on to a promise. But because God had made that promise, they can say, well, we know because God's promised. Even though the obstacles look fierce and they look like there's just no way that that promise can come through, we know the kind of thing that God does. Here's what I would say to us, wondering where this fits with us. We, I'm going to eyeball you for a second. I'm going to eyeball myself. I think for those of us who've walked this a little bit, for those of us who've who trusted God. I think we know this. We, we can look back in our own lives and see the fragility of the start of our faith. We can look back and see it hanging on by a thread sometimes. And we know deep down that God is doing something in our lives. And it's not just that he's making us more moral. If we walk with him, if we're walking with him, then he'll shape us. And he changes us. I think we know this. It's one of the, I don't know if it should be, but it's one of the main reasons that my faith feels like it sustains because I, I look back at the hideous person that I was, the selfish brat that I was, and I still can be outside of him. And I see his work shifting me. And I think this is not really about me just becoming more moral. This is what God does in people. He makes them into things of eternal use. Another reason we know this is because this exists church exists. There's no, think about it for a second, there's no, there's no logical reason for you lot all to be here at this point. There's none. 
I don't know that you'd all get on. I don't know that we'd all get on. There's no real reason. I mean, how on earth does it happen that the church, how did it get under the, the persecution of the Roman Empire? How on earth did it ever happen? Think about what it means to be a Christian, particularly in the West. We're like bullied by the media, like constantly chirped at. We're looked down on by academia. It kind of looks down its nose at, the, at people of faith. Our philosophies don't really tie in with the rest of the world that we live in. We don't really have time to get to church. We've, we've given people historically every reason not to trust people like me throughout church history. We've given them every reason to doubt us, and yet church exists. Why does it exist? Because God promised. Because God takes something like Peter, somebody so fragile, we'll get back to him, and he turns it into something of eternal merit. That is what God is doing. I don't know if, if you've clocked that, if you think you're just, this is just part of your routine, you come along on a Sunday, whatever. That's not what's happening. God has said, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to make something eternal. I'm going to take this, what looks like it's fragile, what looks like it could crumble at any moment, and I'm going to do something eternal with it. That's the first point. God's, God's taking something out of nothing, and he's going to make it into something of eternal merit. The second point is that God, we know God will show us the truth about the way life is. We get that in this song as well. God's going to, God's going to show us exactly how life is. I've been thinking about the way that when the children of Israel leave Egypt, you know, all the backstory that's gone on, I've been thinking in my mind, what, what would they have... What would they have been chatting about as they scarpered, as they went towards the promised land eventually? What would, what would their chat have been? I'm sure it would have been about the wonders of God. I'm sure it would have been about that. I'm sure they would have been like jaw-dropped, this is amazing. But as well at the same time, I'm sure they would have looked back and said, how did we, how on earth was it that for 400 years, now that God's sent these plagues, he's shown us who Pharaoh is, He's made a miraculous way of escape. Now that all that happened really easy, how did, how did we live thinking Pharaoh was everything? How did we live believing those gods? How did we live like that? How did we live in thinking that that's all that there was? How did we live in that lie, thinking that, that those things were the main things? Look, look at what they realize in verse 15 through 18. Look at, what, look at how the penny drops for them. As they walk with God, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but can't speak, eyes but can't see, they have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. See what they, see what they've, what they look back and go, oh man, that, that thing that we thought was everything that we lived under, that, that was just, that was nothing. That was a, it looked, you know, that the empire of the world, the powers that be, they look back and what they realize is actually that is, that is not even a thing. It's a lifeless. This is, what, this is what God does when we walk with him. He shows us things for how they really are. But it was, it was more than that. There's a beautiful bit of wisdom in these couple of verses. It was more than them just realizing the powers that be. It caused them to, to self-reflect a little bit. Look what it says at the end of the verse. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have 
mouths but can't speak, eyes but can't see, ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all those who trust in them. See what he's saying? I see, I see what they've learned as they look back. In, in idolizing something that you've made, this is what they're learning, this is what they observed in Egypt. In, in idolizing something you've just created, you don't, you don't live life to the full. You don't become a complete human being. You become like the thing that you've made. That's the journey that you're on. You become less full of life. You become a shallower individual. It blew me away when I, when I collared that earlier on in the week. And I think... We know that we know this. Psalmist says that you know this. I think that we know this as well. My mum would say to me when I was about 10, um, we got a half-decent TV when I was about 10, first time, uh, not, not just a tiny black and white box, and we got this big uh, TV in the corner of the room, and my mum would say, like a proper mum statement, she'd say, your, your eyes will go, to me and my brother, your eyes will go square. You know, proper mum thing to say, isn't it? But there's, there's some wisdom in there from my mum. She's saying what, that you've idolized this thing. You are, you are turning, you're turning into this thing. What she'd realized was, as this idol came along in my life, she'd lost a little bit the adventurous little boys that, that would live life to the full and run about and play. And as we embraced this idol, we'd, we'd become a little bit like it. We'd, we, the, the TV was in the corner of the room. We were in the corner of the room. It was like that. Turn it off, turn us off. We'd become like the thing that we'd made. Have you ever found yourself checking your phone at like, as soon as you get out of bed, half six, you're on your mobile phone, this thing, this device that exists to make your life more full, and it kind of does, but at the same time, I don't know if you've ever had this, you've looked at it and you've thought, is this, am I shaping this thing? Is it still that way around? Is this benefiting me, or am I becoming a product of this? Is this, because I think sometimes it feels like this, this is shaping me more. I think when we do this with idols, when things in our life become the only things, like the only things, our sole way to happiness, our main drivers in life, then we become, we don't become more full of life, we become lifeless. When it's all about the job or the position in the job or the house or the popularity, or the look, which it does become about sometimes. We don't experience more of life. That's what the wisdom here is saying. It's saying, no, actually, when you do that, when that becomes all of life, and we kind of know it, I think, those of us who've worked ourselves to death at different times or have been all about popularity at certain times, we don't get more full of life like that. It doesn't feel like we're really embracing life. The wisdom here is it says, actually, when you live like that, you live less. You, you've got eyes but you don't really see. You've got ears, but you don't really hear. In fact, you don't even, I've breathed life into you. I'm the God who breathes life, and you're not even really breathing anymore. You're not even really living. God says to us, I think, in this psalm, if you, and this is why it's such a good song, if you walk with me, I will, sh- I will expose those powers that aren't really in control. I'll show that ultimately I'm going to show this world up for what it is, but along the way, you'll know if you walk with me who's in control of this world. I'll give you that balance, and I'll check you along with your own stride as well. When idols come into your life, I will show you them. 
This is what God says to us. This is why this song is so great. God exposes the idols in our life, and he takes something little, something fragile, something broken, and he turns it into something amazing. Now, here's, here's where it leaves us, I think. We, I reckon, you've heard me say all this, you've read the psalm, and you go along, and you go, yeah, that's nice. In fact, I think I probably knew that before I came in. That's a nice, I like the psalms. Really helpful, thank you, Ash, that's really good. But I reckon you'll still go back like me and you'll get in the shower when you're feeling on top of the world and you'll sing Whitney or you'll sing Akuna Matata or you'll sing whatever else it is. How do we get to take these psalms and make them more than just things that we study to make them things actually that we want to go, you know, this is dripping from my tongue. This is filling my heart. This is my song. How do we get there? One quick way to think about how you might get to this spot. I want to tell you about a guy, that, New Testament guy. He couldn't sing. You'll know who he is. He couldn't sing. He kept trying to sing. Hope you're trying to think about who this is. Couldn't, couldn't get a note out. Couldn't quite get it right. This guy called Peter. Just, he kept trying to sing. Kept trying to be this awesome human being, and he just, he just kept failing. When he was trying to walk on water, he just ended up falling into the, the lake. He was trying to sing. When he should have really kept his cool, he chopped his Roman soldier's ear off. He was trying to sing, but couldn't quite sing. When he should have been by the side of his Savior, he bailed. He denied him three times. He just, he was, you'll read through the stories, he was trying to sing, bless him. He was trying to find the right note, but he just kept hitting the duffers. Something happened to this guy. When you read through the book of Acts, something happened to this guy that made him sing. Jesus, the cross, those were the things that happened to this guy. Jesus had a, a tall order, I think. He was tasked with proving to the world that he was God. That's a, that's a trick, isn't it? It's a difficult thing to do. I mean, it's, it's one thing trying to prove it to people thousands of years later when they can read about you. He was proving it to 12 and a few more people who were with him all the time. Those were the people that made the assessments. These people that were with him all the time, think about this, three years, with him all the time, they all came away thinking, yeah, this is God. You ever thought about that? It's incredible. Peter was one of those people, and he never quite sounded the same again. He made his mistakes, sure, but he went from being somebody who couldn't really sing to somebody who couldn't stop singing, read through the book of Acts. I don't know if he sang the Psalms, or if he had those awkward moments like me where he was like, should I sing or not? But he preaches, he stands up fearlessly, he preaches with eloquence, he teaches the teachers of the law. This is just an ordinary fisherman. He performs miracles, he sings. What, what happened to him? I think there's a moment when you see it at the end of John's gospel. Jesus is risen. He's there on the side of uh, the lake and the Peter's back to his old trade, he's fishing again, and Jesus calls to him, and Peter goes over, and that must, have been, that must have been total walk of shame, you know, that's just after Peter's denied his Lord three times, that must have been a tough walk from the boat over towards Jesus, it must have been a bit of a, oh man, and he, Jesus eyeballs him, and he says to him, maybe you know this story, he says to him, do you, do you love me more than these things? And he makes him stew a couple of times, and Peter goes, you know, 
I love you. He asks him again. He says, do you love me more than these things? Peter's got to say it again. He says, you know that I love you. And he says to him again, Peter, do you love me more than these things? And Peter says, yeah, you know that. You know that I love you more than these things. And Jesus says to him, all right, go and feed my lambs. What is he saying? Go and be part of this great eternal story. I reckon Peter in that moment, Peter in that moment finds his voice. Because I think he'd gone through life thinking maybe a little bit along the way, I've got something to offer here. I'm a tough dude. I've got something to offer. And he finds himself, because of the cross, in front of Jesus, and he realizes that he brings nothing here. He brings nothing to this salvation story. It's all on the promise that God made. It's all dependent on the cross. And yet, even though he brings nothing, he gets to be part of this great eternal story. That that for us is why knowing this stuff is when knowing this stuff, just thinking it's kind of nice, becomes a song. That's when we find our voice, when we realize that actually we don't bring anything to this table. And yet we get to be part of something amazing and something eternal because of what Jesus has done.